Good evening, everyone. That Weems guy here for uh, yet another episode. We're recording this at 9.52 Eastern Time, Sunday night, for the debut at 6 a.m. in the morning. So uh, not that we're putting this off to the last second doing our homework, but it's almost close to the last second. And joining me tonight will be Eric Gelhouse and then later John Hearn. Uh, John will join us some point in time in progress in the show. And uh, we'll just kind of make this up on the fly and go along. Our general topic is observations from recent classes. Uh, but first, Eric, introduce yourself. Uh, Eric Gelhouse, longtime listener, first time caller. No, wait, sorry, that was Rush Limbaugh. Uh, return attendee, uh, retired cop from California, occasional writer, uh, adjunct instructor at Gunsight, own my own company. Oh, I don't know. I think that about covers it. Oh, and I then relevant to tonight's topic, I like red dots, unlikely. <laughs> oh, wow. You're just, you're just throwing the punches right off the bat tonight, huh? Figure somebody has to. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's funny how the internet says that I'm an anti-doc guy, even though I've got four of them already set up in an acro waiting to go on something. And I have, a, and I have number six ordered. Four, that's all? I, think, I, have, I, think four, I have four Glocks with dots in the back of the truck right now. I've got two CZP10Cs, one with an SRO and one with an RMR. I've got a Gen 519 with an RMR, and I've got a um, Shadow Systems, their their version, whatever the 19 is, I think they call it the MR920. Yeah. Uh, with a uh, Holosun 507C. That's the standard size Holosun. Yeah, that sounds right. I set up, and then like I said, I have the Acro P2. Brand new, on the box, on my shelf in my office, just waiting for its host to go on. So, but the internet says that uh, that I just am I, I'm anti-dot and that I haven't done enough work with the dot. <laughs> well, okay. the internet's right. Yeah, <laughs> even though I could list all the classes that I've taken with the dot, including an instructor-level class that I shot left-handed due to having surgery on my right hand. And I went and did some simulator work this past week with the red dot and... Uh, yeah, I continue to work and test. And what I've said all along is until I have duplicated all of the training and stuff that I know that I can do with an iron sided gun, until I've proven to myself that I can do that with a PMO, that I'm staying with the iron sided gun. Yeah. And that's reasonable. But reasonable is not allowed online, sir. Yes, yes, it is. Unfortunately, the, all the people who claim to be reasonable usually are the ones that are guilty of not being reasonable. <laughs> Um, you know, the more I experiment, there are certain things that I have found that obviously do better or do as well or better with the dot than do irons, but there've been some other things that I have figured out that much better off with iron sights than the dot. And Tim Chandler had a good point. The dots are the best for what we do the least with a handgun. I see the look of contemplation on your face, sir. Next topic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Things that I think, we'll just just say this, things that I have found that are harder with dots versus iron sights. Strong and support hand only presentations. Yeah. uh, Presentations from awkward positions and low light. So I think they're a lot easier. I find them easier to use in low light. I've kind of, I, somebody tripped it this week. And I think inadvertently I have found an easier way of explaining how to see the dot. Mm-hmm. Um, at least for the students I'm working with within the gun sight system. Um, about explaining housing glass dot that's the order in which you're seeing things so you're seeing the housing then you're seeing the glass then you're seeing the dot okay. um, on on the presentation and i've got to refine that more but the students picked up on what i was saying 
when I was trying to pass it on to somebody and it made sense. A visual um, index works until you're in a low light situation where you don't have the ability to visual index. Well, and I, I hear what you're saying, but I disagree because with the optics set, mm-hmm. with the dots set power wise and where it is in the presentation is that same thing is going to come into eyesight. That's going to come into your sight line. Um, I see the concern with the strong and weak hand stuff. That's why I have a drill that works that, um, that I try not to overrun for time, but we put it out on video, I don't know, 14, 15 months ago, and it doesn't seem it gets a whole lot of interest or play. Uh, but I used it again when I did the instructor development class for a bunch of the gun site instructors down here, and they all seemed to like it for the purpose of acquiring the dot, breaking it down, acquiring the dot, breaking it down, reacquiring the dot. Um, I've got to think more on the low light because I'm not I'm not seeing that, mm-hmm. and I and I haven't seen that in the low light classes I've done where we've had people with dots, but I'm going to be doing a low light specific dot class a week from tonight. So I'll try to pay particular attention to that and query the class on it. All right. Well, let's clarify terms as well. Are you, when you say low light, are you using weapon mounted light? Both handheld. How are you doing your search techniques, et cetera? Handheld and weapon mounted light. My stuff is set up and it carries over to that drill I was just talking about with the strong hand presentation. My stuff starts around a handheld light. Um, and my low light stuff starts around a handheld light and progresses to both hands on the gun. Um, I set up that it's called the three by two drill. So it's draw strong hand, fire two shots, do a speed reload, fire two shots, freestyle, do a speed reload, fire two shots, support hand only. Um, with part of the foundation for that being the likelihood of drawing strong hand only in a low light situation because your the other hand is going to be tied up with the flashlight and then transitioning to both hands on the gun and then fishing off with support hand only um it's i don't run my doc my low light classes in complete darkness but i it also doesn't look like the 50 yard line of an nfl stadium on monday night either so I'll have to see what I'll have to talk to the class specifically about that and see what the feedback and input is. And then a week and the next week, not this coming week, the end of the following week, I'm doing a low light instructor class. So given where it is, I'm, I'm anticipating a, a fair number of dots. So we might see how we get some feedback on that. Yeah. My one experiment that I've been able to do with, with low light involved. Uh, it was in a, force on force class in which I was actively opposed by one other individual, but there were uh, non-shoot people moving around in the scenario as well. And so obviously it had to be a muzzle, had to be in an inverted position while the search was going on. And I was using a neck index with a flashlight search position. And when I came up with the pistol to address the adversary, I washed out the dot. So that's you. That's mm-hmm. not the dot. <laughs> well, I, but I did it. Yeah, you did. In the same way that I would have done with an iron sight gun. So there is a different mm-hmm. on that position. Mm-hmm. And, and I I know that the mere phrase temple index can cause some people to mount down and go apoplectic. Right. But there is a temple position for that mm-hmm. jaw temple index yeah. where rather than running the light alongside the jawline and washing out the back of the optic, yeah you move the optic up to the eyepiece or the temple piece on your glasses and you project over. Yeah. And see, that's one of the things that I needed to find out in a training environment versus, Oh, well, I shot a better score on this B8 class. Oh yeah. On this B8 drill. And I shot a higher qualification score. So the dots are worthy. I need to go out in the world with it. And then I find myself in a situation in real life and my techniques don't work. And I, and I, so as much as I'm busting your balls, I will give you credit for going out and looking at the application side of things. This is what Eastridge and I have been talking about a bunch is that it doesn't seem as many people are looking at the application with the optic 
as they are looking at how fast can they shoot some stuff mm-hmm. with the optic. Um, and, and I'm more interested in the practical application side in low light. How do you set the dots up to work with handheld lights or weapon mounted lights? How are you doing things in inclement weather? Um, and that's the stuff that I'm trying to hit on with what I'm working on. Yeah, no, I did get to do, as, as I've mentioned, several runs in a simulator uh, this past week. I did some with a dot-mounted pistol, and I did some with an iron-sided pistol. And this was a virtuous simulator. Thanks, Warren Wilson, by the way. And it's a 300-degree set of screens, so you have to be mm-hmm. checking about, you know, around each shoulder as well. Um, in some of the scenarios, of course, I'm standing in low light because you got to have the ability to project the scenarios on the screen, whereas everything I'm seeing is not in low light. Right. Uh, but there were a couple of scenarios in which I wandered into, like there was one where I entered into a movie theater. And, and there was you know active shooter taking place in the movie theater. And it's obviously low light. Um, I found interesting things in the focal shift required you know we always talk about target focus versus mm-hmm. front sight focus and everything and while i've always kind of considered myself not necessarily a front sight focus shooter unless i had to for shots at a distance um you know i've always been able to get the gun between me and the back guy make sure it's aligned right. you know impress the shot i did not have a problem making the focal shift and still being able to identify my adversary and see that he was still a threat or she in some cases, was, in fact, a deadly threat. That whole thing that goes around the internet about how it'll reduce mistake of fact shootings, I did not see any benefit to that at all. We had that discussion. That was, I think, like episode one Episode episode one, yeah. Yeah, I like that whole thing going along, but actually being able to see it in real time. Okay, even though my my focus shifted to the front side. I could still see the adversary still see he's yeah. holding a pistol yes or actually in this case an AK I still see you know that he was presenting a deadly threat and that I was legally justified to use deadly force I could see that just as well with the iron sights as I could right. with the dot however um there was one scenario in which I had bad guy directly in front of me another person off at an angle behind them and with and the person the bad guy had a knife drawn in a stabby pose and i was justified in drawing and putting my muzzle on them because i was legally justified in shooting at that point and because i was able to keep a wide focus you know with using the dot i could also still see the person in the background i don't know that i would have been able to have seen them as clearly with the front side That, that i did not test that uh, but just from what I saw in the other scenarios, I would I think I would have still known they were still there, but I would not have been able to actually see them and see what they were doing as well. Okay. Uh, also, I know it's a movie projected screen and that the person's really not going to be stabbing me with a knife. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, um, my focus wasn't so drawn in to them. Now, ultimately, the person behind them was who was the deadly force threat that I had to neutralize. Um, and, you know, that was interesting. Um, Warren said I was the only person that's ever successfully taken out that person on their first run through that scenario. Okay. However, I do have to admit that I did hit a hostage in another scenario. Um, and I'm not going to, but, 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 but uh, it was a scenario with multiple active shooters. Okay. And um, I did not know it was multiple active shooters at the time. I knew it was one. And the person was uh, obscured. All I could see pointing at me was the pistol. And they were behind a video game. And they were emerging from behind the video game. And I extended and pressed out and put the dot on them as they're still emerging from the game. And by the time I broke the shot, they cleared the video game with the hostage. And I couldn't stop the shot yeah. which is another thing we've talked about on the show and i hit the hostage who immediately fell and i took out the bad guy and still had to go take out two other bad guys i think that would be one of those situations that would be absolutely tragic should it have really happened right but it's also an understandable yeah 
uh, doesn't make it right. Doesn't mean there's not going to be lawsuits with big big zeros. Or in this day and age, increased likelihood of prosecution. Yeah. Uh, Well, I I don't see any way it could be prosecuted for it. But uh, I do. It's one of those things where just bad things happened. Yeah. No, I'm looking at the unfortunate part that we're weighting things, weighing things a lot differently than we did a few years ago. And depending on what expert is recruited and sought and listened to. Right. right. Now, another interesting part of that is we had a complete novice with us that we put in the scenarios and they were able to get hits with the dot mounted gun and they didn't with the iron sighted gun. Yeah. Which could lead us to the results of one of the strings <laughs> at the Gunside Alumni Shoot. Well, by all means, Eric. So um, for those who aren't familiar with it, Gunsight runs an alumni shoot every year. It's the first Saturday in October. It's like any other match. It's scored on practice score. Stages are, with one exception, stages are changed from year to year and are put together by the staff. Uh, the last several years, I have worked the Cooper Cup, um, which is a pretty tightly timed and scored version of the Gunsight school drills. It is headshots at three and seven pairs to the body at 10 15 and 25 and at the 15 yard line stage there's reloads and engagements on a second target mm-hmm. um the head the three yard head shots are a second the seven yard head shots are a second and a half pairs at 10 or two seconds the reload at 15 is six seconds two speed reload transition target two more um and then at 25 it's four seconds for two shots uh, the scoring is no line breaks. Everything has to be completely in the scoring area on the body or on the head. Um, this year, weather conditions kind of impacted the number of folks we got through it, but we still had 106 shooters come through it. 57, 59 with optics, 47 with iron sights. Um, and what I did this year was I just tagged um, everybody who was – who shot optics on it so we could score. I am not really sure what's going on. <laughs> Just something with the screen. Oh, okay, you're messing yeah. with the screen. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, so we had, anyway, 106 shooters came through. The For the shooters with the dots, 16 of them shot. Okay, let me back up. There are 200 points possible on this. 20 shots, everything, five, five points or zero. Um, there were 16 shooters who scored 100 points or higher to include the winner who shot a 160. There were two shooters with irons who shot 100 points or higher. So th- there's kind of the first telling point. Mean scores for the dot shooters. We scroll back and look at the numbers. Okay, mean scores for the dot shooters were 75. Mean score for the iron sight shooters was 30. So almost more than double the difference in the mean score between the two. There were two dot shooters who had no score, meaning they didn't get a single five point hit on the entire run. Everyone who shot it with dot shot at least five points. They at least had one scoring hit on the whole thing. Um, so now you have to, you have to go to gun site to be eligible for the match. You have to sign up for the match and you have to come shoot the Cooper cup. So there were a bunch of opt-ins on this um, that that may not necessarily make it statistically viable for everybody, but looking at it across the board among the folks that did pretty significant differences. What was the Uh, target? Target was the gunsight option target, the home plate area on the head and the St. Louis Archer gumdrop on the chest were the scoring areas. Okay. Um, the, The winning shooter was a decent normal human being who shot it from concealment with an optic legit concealment with an optic. Um, I've been in a class with him before and he was taking a class this, this recent week. Kids good. A couple working cops from California that have perennially been up in the top five finishers shooting it with duty guns with optics out of duty gear. We're in the one twenties, one thirties. Okay. So. um, Any failures with any optics? No. None of the optics failed during the time that I was during the time I was running the match. Okay. In the recent uh, dot instructor class that I attended, I saw an optic fly off of a gun. 
I did see an optic fail in the red dot. So we ran a couple dot heavy classes. I ran an instructor development class for gunsight instructors on the optics the week before the weekend before the alumni shoot. We had one optic fail. It was an older crimson tray, older style crimson trace optic that broke elevation within 40 rounds of the class starting. Okay. Um, he finished out the class with a uh, pistol optic combo that's in development down here. Um, I had a, during the advanced pistol class, I had a student break windage adjustment on a vortex. Um, so we had zeroed it. We He had been off. We had zeroed it. I'd confirmed the zero. We'd started shooting and all of a sudden he's like, Hey, my, my, my hits are off to the, to one side. I pick it up and look in the dots crank is now gone way back over where it was before. So we knew we had a, we had a, a windage failure. Um, we pulled that optic and he ended up finishing out the class with irons. Okay. So all those right. were the only optic failures I saw in three and a half weeks down here of shooting. Most of the issues I have seen have been mounting with plates. Yep. That's, I, I'm not seeing optics break now with the exception of those two that I just talked about. Those were not common. I wouldn't call them commonly used optics here. Um, they're not ones that I see running around in, in duty rigs and holsters. Right. They're kind of, I'm going to use the term second tier just because yeah. I'm not sure where else to put them, but yeah. those are the ones that are failing. The mounts are the, Optics aren't breaking like they were. Mounts are kind of the next failure point that we've been yeah. dealing with. And even then, I'm not seeing the drama that we were seeing. The two optics that I have seen fly off of guns were Glocks with the MOS system using MOS plates. I would uh, be interested in knowing if they're following the directions that we've kind of adopted. We adopted from LA Sheriff's Weapons Training Unit. Um, and if put out in terms of te test fitting everything, degreasing everything, coming back in, assembling with the chapstick Loctite 248, the, the incremental torque aspect on there, and then letting it cure, not for a half hour, not overnight, but for 24 hours, uh, because that seems to be producing some really good results. Which is funny because I see people follow that procedure to set up their guns. And then when they have to change, so like change their battery in their RMR, they don't follow that exact same procedure. Why would they? Just, it just, I don't know why they wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, but I see people that, you know, they went through that when they set their gun up, but um, they'll go change out the battery on their RMR, put it back on, let it sit for 30 minutes, shoot it to test zero. Oh, I'm good. And put it back in the holster and drive off from the ranch. You know? Not Bro, me. No, no. Not me. No. Not me. Um, I've personally had an experience with a plate that all of a sudden would not stay tight. And the way I noticed that I was starting to have an issue is that my zero was moving on my optic. I was like, huh, this gun was shooting exactly over there. Now it's shooting over here. And I got to fooling around and I, how I, the optic was tight to the plate, but the plate was not tight to the gun. And uh, ultimately, I ended up pulling that plate off of the gun and going with a different manufacturer plate. And, um, and I've just gone, while I have optics that require plates, uh -huh. so many of mine are direct mill. Yep. I have made the decision that plate guns are fine for range stuff. But I, when I eventually, if I get to the point where I actually start carrying a PMO, it will be with a direct mounted option. Um, and it's going to probably be closed emitter. Yeah. Uh, I've got that Acro P2, and I can imagine actually carrying anything in the field with other than it on a duty sized gun yeah. once I get it, once I decide what the host is going to be. Yeah. So. And I would have my third Acro setup gun, but I'm bailing out of gunsight heading back to California tomorrow morning, and it supposedly is going to be done Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right what's that going on that's going on in staccato all right yeah staccato now you're actually carrying an mp right yeah I, that's all yeah i will my days of carrying 1911 2011 guns for duty is long gone 
Um, I just, I don't see the benefit, the return on investment. Um, I think in terms of keeping, a setting a pistol up for duty use and keeping it up and running for duty use, mm -hmm. I don't see the point in going back to a 1911, which I carried for 20 plus years. Um, the staccato I had, it was going to get an optic on it. Um, that that was the third, that was another Acura that I had available to me. You know, everything else I have has optics on it if it's if it gets used. So that was just a good place for it to go. Yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't decided. I had the option to do a T&E on one of the direct milled MMP nine millimeters. And of course, as we know, Glock has come out with for agency sales direct milled mm -hmm. uh, and Acro Acro is because available for that. Um, was long a Glock guy before going to the the CZ for fun. Um, did duty with well not duty, but I did a lot of work with the MMP 45s back when I shot at EPA. That was my CDP division gun ultimately gave up on it because of issues with the magazines and i just okay. don't shoot i don't shoot idpa anymore so i don't need a cdp gun yeah. um although i actually shot that gun in ssp esp or cdp because i shot it better than my glocks but i kept having mag springs uh fail the last actual work i did with that mmp 45 was i was in my initial range master instructor certification course and was shooting a drill and you know press click tap rack press click well it didn't lock back to the rear so it's not a double feed so i lock it back to the rear myself look down into the the chamber or excuse me yeah, down through the through the ejection port and i see all of my rounds are down at the bottom of the magazine yep and i take it out you know, set, set the pistol on the shelf take the dump all the rounds out to my hand and look and the mag springs broken i'd had that happen several times and i said tom i need to go to the truck and i packaged all that up went and got my glock 17 came back and finished the rest of the course now it seems to me that someone recently posted a picture of that happening with an mmp nine millimeter magazine at a national championship match i wonder who that could have been that no i don't think i posted that <laughs> I don't think I posted that. There was the weekend before a national championship. Oh, okay. Okay. Before the national championship. Yes. Match. Okay. Yes. And that, okay. but that, so the caveat I will say is that yeah. was with a California legal 10 round match okay. that I was vetting to see if it was going, <laughs> if I was going to take those anywhere and oh, for the love of God, do I want to do really bad things to the people responsible for designing that? <laughs> I did try an MMP 2.0 compact when they hit the market. And I was really hoping that I would see that performance boost that I got with the MMP 45s. And I did not shoot it better than my Glock 19s, which is my gold standard. Right. And so I divested myself of the platform. Yeah. If there was an MMP 2.0 compact direct cut acro, I don't know, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I just could get one. Uh, uh, it's my understanding is they exist. Oh, okay. Well, then well, maybe, maybe, well, maybe not the compact. The full-size MMP nine mil cut for a factory cut for the Acura exists. Oh, I know it. Ex I know that exists. I put it in yeah. my hands. Okay. I, I, I just sat there, looked at, it, and I have one available for TNA. Okay. Um, and I actually have one available for purchase if I want it. Um, but uh, I've been offered a chance to do a TNA for a local cop shop. They've actually asked for that. Um, and they're selling them as fast as they, they're huge yeah. agency contracts coming in with them. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if I want to give it a test or just what I have found with the Glock with an optic is that I have to alter my presentation and it's fine as long as I'm in my conscious brain and remember to do that little cant that i do with, have to do with the wrist at the end of the presentation for it to be there i don't have to do that with my cz's yeah and i'm just now at the point where that is just part of the presentation yeah that that whole issue of pistol comes up acquire it sooner optic housing glass dot is just there it's part of it that's the norm uh, so yeah 
uh, also, if, if there was really, if there was a Glock 19 available direct milk for the Acro from the factory right now, I don't think it'd be having this conversation. I think that's just what I would have done. Yeah. Uh, but the 45 is what's available as far as I know. Uh, that would allow me to use all the same holsters as I've got. And it would be fine for a uniform duty gun. I just yep. don't want the 17 size grip for concealment. I'm actually wanting to play around now, now that I spent some time this week with a, with a Glock 19 X um, again, cause it's been sitting in the safe. I'm actually considering trying to build a 19 X an MMP version of the 19 X slash 45 just to see how that would pan out. Yeah. When I shot GSSF, for years i actually did better with the 19 than i did with the 17 and the 34 and so i got rid of my 34s and i kept the 17 that i had sentimental value to yep. but everything else i've got glock is, is 19 i even got rid of i had a 26 i got rid of it now i do have 48s that i carry when i travel uh so i don't have to worry about accidentally filling with the 10 round magazine right um so i carry the 48 when i travel but um Oh, and as yet proof again that I am anti-PMO, number six has been ordered. I just don't know. <laughs> I don't know when it's going to get here. Yeah. Uh, I, I have ordered one of the 365 macros uh, from the law enforcement side, which does not have that. Oh, since I'm actually talking good about dots tonight, I'm going to make the internet mad about something else, which doesn't have this stupid compensator on a nine millimeter pistol. It's a nine millimeter. It doesn't need to be compensated. You can hold on to the pistol with one finger and it won't fly away. Why are you compensating it? Okay. Because they're now. compensating for something. Yeah. So on the law enforcement sales from SIG, a macro version is available that does not have the compensator and has a full 3.7 inch barrel. Okay. And so I, I have one of those ordered uh, along with uh, uh, the EPS carry site because it will directly mount without a plate. Okay. And I don't know when they will arrive. Yep. And I'm taking a SIG PMO instructor course in December as yet more proof that I hate dots. In New Hampshire? No, no, no. It's in Georgia. Oh. Okay, I was going to say, you really hate dots if you're going to New Hampshire in December to take an instructor class. No, it will be here in Georgia. It's one of the okay. the SIG Academy travel classes. But I uh, will be taking that. Uh, thank you, Shane Gosa, if you're listening. And um, yeah, I don't know if the macro will be in time for me to take that class with, with that pistol. But uh, if not, I'll shoot it with something else. So... Where's Hearns? I don't know. He said, oh, and I just dropped my phone. He said 20 minutes ago, he'd be here in 10 minutes. Yep. So here's some interesting math for the audience. A, what MOA dot is this? A 3.25 MOA dot covers 0.8125 inches at 25 yards. Okay. Whereas a whereas a one forty wide front sight covers five point zero one inches at twenty five yards. I I have to admit, telling people about the differences between the dot size and the front sight size, and watching heads explode, mm -hmm. is is usually quite worth it. That was one of the things I noticed in the Vertra simulator, as far as making the shots. It was so much easier to put that little you know, 3.5 dot on something and yep. press the shot versus covering it with the 140 wide front sight and pressing yep. the shot. Yeah. But it now we'll back up and say in each of those situations, uh, I started from a ready because the holster I was carrying was a Glock 48 holster and the pistol I was using was a Glock 17. So I, I couldn't use the holster. I started from the ready um, and I did all of the shooting, you know, freestyle. Yeah. And so the presentations weren't like coming from the holster. It was yep. the thing. And in most of the situations, I had opportunity to get gun up, slack out a trigger, and then pressing instead of having to make a from the presentation shot. Not in every case. Um, I did have to spin because, like I said, it's a, three, six, a 300 degree 
uh, environment. Mm-hmm. And there was one guy at time where I was taking on a bad guy over to my right and had to spin and catch a guy on my left. And I was pretty pleased with how well I got him with the dot on a, on a pin pulled in close and extend back out as I'm turning, coming back around and, um, and got the bad guy in that situation. And the dot presented perfectly on the, on the extension. So there was that. So what else have you noticed in your recent classes? Um, much broader cross-section of the public is interested in firearms training. Okay. People that we wouldn't have seen here um, within the last, you know, a few years ago, a handful of years ago, now are making up significant portions of the client base. Um, and it'd be interesting to see how much of that is the case across the board, right? Are, are we getting those folks coming to classes um, here because of the, the name of the school and, you know, how, how easy it is to find gun site? Um, or is everybody seeing a change in, well, or are a number of instructors seeing a change in demographics? I'm sure there are some instructors out there that they're not getting the folks that were center of the road potentially to the left um, just because of their materials. Um, I'll leave it at that. Um, but, you know, that that's one of the things that's interesting. Um, had a chance to have, we had four gals, ladies, in um, an intermediate pistol class right before the alumni shoot. And all very different backgrounds, um, all different reasons for doing for doing what they were doing. Um there was some overlap, but, but a lot of cases, it was just legit standalone differences in why they were taking training. And in that case, every one of those gals was a multiple time gun site student. So, you know, they were consciously making a decision to come back. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting to see how that might be, you know, an issue across the country. We're well, not an issue, but is that a, a change people are seeing? I don't get intro level students. Right. On my on through my business, I do through the through the agency because I train jail staff. Yeah. But my private business is just to a point where I don't typically get the intro level, uh, intro level students. Everything I taught this year was a traveling roadshow class yeah. through the business. It would um, be interesting to see from like Tiffany Akil and some other folks that are doing the gateway stuff. Yeah. What the differences in those students are. Um, and I, and I know we do, that the Second Amendment right is a human right for everyone. I'm not talking about that, but it would be fascinating to see what the differences in political philosophy, things along those lines are. And, and is that driving folks who historic, you know, what's driving people who historically would not have attended training to come yeah. to classes? Yeah. Yeah, I did during the, the pandemic. I went back to teaching private lessons for a little while just because one people couldn't get ammo and yeah. two people were freaked out over over crowds. And so I did do some private lessons during that period that kind of kept the business alive a little bit. And I did see some different political types coming through the classes, yeah. which I thought was a good thing. Yeah. And, I, I, I would hope that that carries over into their way of thinking, but I'm uh, not naive enough to hold my breath on it. I, I did have fun in a gun store. Uh, and one day there was someone who was of very obviously different political leanings than I am. And I was in uniform. I was stopped on the way home from work and they were looking at a gun and you could tell they were just kind of befuddled. And I just teased over and said, Hey, can I talk with you for a second? And we had a nice talk about the gun and yeah. some different, different options. And I said, Hey, I can recommend some instructors that aren't me, you know, to you in that yeah. are in this area and that will offer training. And um, I said, hey, you're welcome to come train with me if you want to, but I also recognize, you know, I'm standing here in uniform and you not, might not be comfortable with that. And that, that, that relaxed the person even further. And we had a good chat yeah. and, um, you know, it is a human right. 
Absolutely. It is a human right. Um, we did have a question come up in the group as we were talking around, talking about ideas on the That Williams Guy Facebook group. Uh, an individual asked uh, Matthew, and I'm not sure how to say Matthew's last name, so I'll just stick with Matthew. Um, asked about ways to mitigate friendly fire in the context of law enforcement, specifically when searching homes with other deputies on the outside on a perimeter that they almost lost a deputy that week. And I think Polk County, Florida, somebody just did. Yeah. Did, yeah. So I, I don't know the circs on that one. Um, covers cover just cause the guys are inside. Doesn't mean you can break it. Um, if there were walls in between the entry element that was forced into shooting and the folks outside on the perimeter, you know, it, it, it sucks, but that means you not only have a visual barrier where you can't see where people are, um, you know, you've got projectiles penetrating through, through barriers, right? So there's some things there. Our guys, our guys using armor, they sure as hell should be guys and gals. They sure as hell should be using armor, right? Are they maintaining cover or are they breaking it? Because, okay, the entry elements inside, I don't need to be behind cover now. Um, it, that that's tragic that sucks if the dude was using cover and everything else and folks were doing everything they could then it's absolutely tragic um we have got to do a better job of paying attention to downrange hazards and daryl has worked on this i've been trying to do more stuff about rule two and rule four and plugging that into training um setting up drills that have no shoots in them without hammering on the fact that no shoots exist, letting people run it and then coming back and, okay, let's, let's talk about what we, what we did in regards to the no shoot, putting up, up setting up downrange and uprange no shoots around the shooting problem and forcing people to deal with those no shoots um, and not treating them like so they can just run a muzzle across or who cares if they get holes in, you know, and, but enforcing folks to actually deal with those no shoots there. Um, you're going, you know, if you're out on the street, right, you're going to have people moving. Now, those are static problems, but when you get out on the street, you may have that fur ball of everybody moving and it doesn't eliminate the need to be conscious of what's downrange and it it doesn't take away the requirement for you to be really conscious of what's going on downrange. Um, I've seen complaints about off-duty officers getting shot and killed in places. Usually it tends to be an East coast thing, or we just don't hear about it out West in my part of the country. I'm sure it, if it was going to happen, it, it, it happens. We just don't, maybe it doesn't get the play or the press coverage. Um but part of that, at least if you're off duty, you're not in uniform is not interjecting yourself into events or being very cautious about when you're going to interject yourself in the event. And that's going to cut down the not being identified problem. Right. So uh, I use armor, use cover, don't interject yourself into the situation if at all possible. And for the guys that are in the event, they got to be very guys and gals. They've got to be very cognizant of what's downrange. And rather than just, okay, there's the bad guy, I'm good. Now nah, there's that whole other back half of the world behind the bad guy and everything's going to hit something. Yeah, I think one way we can mitigate it, and you've, you've actually touched on it, is we have to break training from the square range mentality. Yep. Like one thing we have to do, things like you're discussing with the, with the targets there that actually forces people to contextualize with the gun in their hands that okay it's not acceptable for me to cover that with my muzzle yeah and number two is it's i have to be able to put the shot where i intend for it to go or rule four is useless yeah and then we yeah. also have to be doing scenarios or shooting environments in which it's not just two-dimensional flat target that never moves and if, if all we've ever done is train to the point of passing the qualification, then we have not trained our people for success. No, the qualification should just be a verification of what we've been training on, right? Can, can, are they, 
can they do what we trained them to do? But it, it should be the easy part of it, right? Somebody was talking about this the other day, that qualification should be the easiest part of the range day. Yeah. Um, and the training should be a lot harder. Um, yeah, I look back at stuff and see, okay, what were we able to do with the two hours I had a quarter? Right. And that, that two hours, while it wasn't one, two hour block a quarter, I had everybody we got, we got them for two hours at some point during the quarter, you know? And so how do you make that stuff work across the board? I, I think for starters, we get out of the mentality of that, that rule force for that 40 foot berm. No, we've got to start being really clear about what's downrange, about what we run our muzzles across and what's downrange and what's uprange and making sure that we're treating them to the same degree that we've been treating finger off of the trigger and however you want to phrase it and guns are loaded. You know, if we can't run shoulder holsters because of muzzle orientation issues and yet there's not a problem within the, with them in the real world, then we probably need to be taking that everything else that goes with it a lot more seriously. Uh, I just got a text from Hearn that he will not be joining us. Bye, John. <sighs> Sadly, I'll have to wait until I see him on Friday to pick on him then. Okay. I'll just do it by text. Okay. All right. So. Hold on. Dear John, you suck. Yeah. <laughs> Love, Eric. <laughs> oh, look, right here. Dear John. Yeah. And I bet it's going to appear on my phone. Oh, it will. Yeah. You suck. Love, Eric. Send. Yep. And there it is. <laughs> uh, I know John listens to the show on uh, first thing on Monday mornings when he gets up. Because what else are you going to do but listen to me and my, my friends on Monday mornings? So he'll get that lovely message. Uh not only did he get it just now in text message, he'll get it again. He'll get to the, the beauty of the internet ad podcast apps. He will get to relive it over and over, over and, and over. And over again. <laughs> Excuse me. The beauty of this whole podcast thing has been that the, the fun that I have of messing with Hearn has spread throughout the internet. And now I get people wanting to know if somebody else's show beat Hearn or like guests that are, they've never met Hearn. Yeah. Well, like want to know if their episodes beat his. So that's well, that's okay. I recently had somebody ask me if the first hour of his class was always that boring. <laughs> oh, wait, sorry. That's recorded. Never mind, John. I know someone sent him a message the other day that said that uh, a mutual friend had been through both their class with me and a class with Hearn and that they were asking for uh, updates on material from Hearn. And even Hearn had to admit that was probably because I was more thorough and did a better job of presenting the material. So. Awesome. All right. Awesome. So, so any other observations from recent classes there? Um, I think guns are getting better. So, so <clears throat> I've never seen a canic pistol come through a class. It's not something I would have expected to come through, to make it through. And not because I, I had a preconceived notion that it was bad. I just hadn't seen any of them. Well, I had two canic pistols come through the same week long, 1200 rounds of ball plus 150, 200 rounds of frange, not a bobble, not, not a hiccup with those guns um, one had an optic one didn't cool um maybe, maybe it's the less maybe it's the boutique manufacturers are getting better i don't know maybe you know you mentioned the staccato and i know springfield recently released their what they call it double stack prodigy or something like prodigy that. yeah i wonder what that's going to do to that boutique thing around the staccato are they going to continue to be the it thing or is the springfield being hundreds of dollars cheaper is it going to kind of bust that up a little bit uh, so this is a swag can't prove it but it's 
also based on conversations with Eastridge. Mm-hmm. I staccato is still going to carry the market. There are going to be a bunch of people that are going to the staccato because it's done. There's nothing that needs to get done to that gun and it's running. If anything, the prodigy might resurrect the older 1911 shooters into a double stack nine who already understand what had to be done to a 1911 before to make it serious use ready, duty ready, concealed carry ready. So if you tell a guy who grew up having to have barrel work done on a 1911, that that prodigy is going to need a couple hundred dollars worth of barrel work. That's no big deal, right? That's still $800 less than your staccato. I don't know. That could happen. Yeah, I still see myself with a sub 500 CZP 10C or Glock or MMP. I, I, I'll probably pick up a Prodigy, but again, it's not going to be for serious purposes. It'd be more for teaching, more to have. Um, If I were to ever go back to carrying a 1911, it would be the lightweight operator from the Springfield Custom Shop that's sitting in my safe. And that's only because of weight issues and everything that I would need done to it's done to it. Um, I'm going to stay with a polymer frame nine mil thumb safety gun, which is the M&P. If I were going to dump the amount of money that is needed for, say, a staccato or doing a prodigy and then doing all the other work that needed to be done, I'm just going to a spring, excuse me, a Wilson. Yeah. EC, that, EC, not, and I'm talking like something along the. Uh, that XC9 or. Yeah, yeah something yeah. like that, that. That has the the thumb safety and the single action trigger, but no grip safety. Yep. And those have improved. I saw some of the original ones back in 2019 that I was underwhelmed with the magazines the same complaints you have about the magazines on some guns. That's what I saw on those during a couple of weeks worth of classes. I'm not seeing that problem with them. Now they've refined everything they need to refine. Cool. Cool. Um, I, I had kind of high hopes for the, what was it? The Dan Wesson, the DWX that they had, we were talking about. It was going to be like a, CZ 75 type frame, but with a single action trigger, 1911 style thumb safety. Okay. And I understand that they just never COVID got it and then they never could get it. Okay. To the market. And I think it's a dead issue now. Okay. But I, was, I was really looking forward to that because that would have been, I think, ideal for, for what I like to do shooting was. And, um, you know, I wouldn't let me, let me play with a single action trigger. Yeah but I wouldn't have had to deal with the grip safety. So I thought that would have been cool. Um, now, I have been shooting that Shadow Systems MR920 mm-hmm. some. Uh, pre-hand surgery, I, I was shooting and I haven't done much in the last of six weeks ago for the surgery. Well, it'll be seven weeks this week. Uh, any serious shooting I've done has been left-handed since then. I questioned those shadow systems, like, why would I spend more money on a Glock than to get a Glock? And the shadow system owner told me all these things and everything, and I was like, okay. The reason I finally broke down and bought one is that they do have a law enforcement sales, and I got it at a much more reasonable price than what they normally sell for. Um, I bought one because of the mounting system for an optic. Perish you know, the I, thought. I hate the I hate the optic so much that I bought a gun specifically because of the mounting system for an optic. Um, I had four malfunctions in the first two hundred rounds, and they talk about a two hundred round break in period. Mm-hmm. And so I took it out the day I got it. And, well, I mounted the optic, let it sit overnight, let it sit twenty four hours and cure, and then took it to zero it as part of the two hundred round break in process. And I shot two hundred rounds that first day. And I had four malfunctions. I noticed as I took it out of the box that the recoil spring I thought was underpowered. And so I contacted them. They sent me a new recoil spring, which obviously had more power than the than the one that came in the gun. And so, like, yep, that was an underpowered recoil spring. Um, put it in the gun. Still occasionally get a first round uh, feeding issue from a magazine stoppage with the gun and but what i all of those have been with the magpul mags that ship with the gun and i actually bought five more of those okay 
would I run with an actual Glock 19 mags? I don't recall a single malfunction. Yeah. Now I have not, I had not experienced the problems with the P mags that some folks have reported with the Glocks. When I, during a three-year period, I carried a Glock for reasons. Um, that's what I used as my spares on duty. Didn't have issues, but I did see a student recently who was rolling with 10 round mags, 10 round P mags for his MMP, who kept insisting on trying to load them to 11 and 12 rounds and could not understand why he consistently got second round clicks with the gun, no matter what, how many times we talked to him about it and could not had great difficulty processing that overloading the mag was in fact the cause of the gun not working. Well, the one thing I don't like about the P-Mags is it only has the one witness hole that shows you at 15 rounds. Okay. Uh, at least on the Glock ones. Um, so what I've been doing is loading it full and then stripping one round out. Okay. Uh, with those, and I'm still getting some first round okay. feed issues off of the magazine. Again, I don't recall one with an actual Glock 19 mag. All right. Um, I don't. I don't care for all the fancy slide milling. Uh, no, it just doesn't. It doesn't appeal to me. The, um, the one thing I like about them is a little bit, little bit refined fit in terms of like um, a finger groove at the bottom of the front strap, and I do like that it's set up to take different optic footprints. But beyond that, I, I, I don't, I don't find the need for all the dna collectors yeah. you know this the scallop cuts the relief cuts they, they just don't do anything for me um you know I've, the 19x that i was using was was machined very nicely by atei but it's a pain to get in and out of some holsters because of all the scalloping work done to the front end of the slide like i'm not gonna use that i don't care yeah. so yeah I, I, mine is the 920 combat which doesn't have all the relief cuts oh good and I got it in black is beautiful and uh, none of that crazy gold, whatever stuff that they, they do with them. Okay. Um, I really do like the optic mounting system. If you're going to use a top screw mounted optic, it makes sense. Uh, what they did is they moved the, oh, which, which spring is it? there's a spring in the slide they moved it forward in the slide which allows them to drill the screws for the optic mount completely through the length of the slide okay and so you can run a screw that has three or four times more threading on it than what you normally mount an optic with and then they said so there's no plate and then there's a plastic plunger that depending on which optic you're going to run where you put that in and that keeps the optic from torquing turning side to side and when you put the compression on it it mashes in and it actually seals up with that plunger you get a very 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 secured mount a much lower mount and like i said that the optic mounting system on that is fantastic if you're going to run a top screw mounted optic yep and that's why i travel i don't know that i'll end up keeping it okay so uh, you can't, they does have uh, interchangeable back straps that radically change the feel of the gun. Oh, good. And I've gone with the flattest most back strap, kind of like as most as I think they call it the neutral cant. Okay. And, and it's almost 1911 ish uh, in, in, the, in the pointability of it. But, okay. Uh, it, it's, it's different. I, I'm not a fan of the trigger that they think is a selling point, but. Mm. What else you got for us tonight, Eric? Nothing. <laughs> I was anticipating Hearn being on and feeding off of him and right. bludgeoning him. Yeah. I've got another. I've got a load of laundry to do, and I got to finish packing. There you go. Uh, I do have his notes. He just sent in a thing, um, and probably nothing we can talk about without him <laughs> being on there to uh, clarify what he's meaning. So. To the audience, uh, Hearn has failed us, mm-hmm. and you need you need to take the opportunity to let John know that he failed you. And I will see him on Friday, and I will make sure that I will let him know that he failed us. But he needs to hear from you. He needs to hear from all of you. So, Eric, what you got coming up? 
uh, low light instructor down in Southern California in a week and a half, uh, two night class, just about full. Um, Connecticut, yeah, I don't think Connecticut's going to happen. The range had to get a bunch of um, repair work done on it. So other than some local SF Bay Area classes, uh, which are up on my Facebook and YouTube pages, that's not YouTube, uh, Instagram, that's pretty much what I have left for the year. All right. Have you done anything scheduling for next year yet? Uh, hoping, hoping. Yeah. Well, yes, I have scheduled things. I will be teaching at TACON. I'm not terribly sure what I'm teaching at TACON. I throw out ideas and I've yet to hear back yet. Um, <laughs> I can tell you what the answer to that question is. Well, no, because I was very clear that not everything, but I can do this path or that path, but not both paths. Uh-huh. Um, and I haven't heard a word back yet. I will be teaching at the Thunderstick Summit, the Shotgun Summit next December. Um, and then obviously Gunsight, but I'm, I, I enjoy traveling and I'm hoping some folks want to reach out uh, for some classes. How can people find you? CougarMountainSolutions.com slash blog on the World Wide Web. Uh, Cougar Mountain Solutions on face, Facebook and Cougar underscore Mountain underscore Solutions on Instagram. All righty. Um, we have the Rangemaster Instructor Reunion here at my that- place this weekend, and I am presenting some classroom material on that. And I have a range block on Sunday, but John Hearn will be doing my demos for me. If be, he shows up, if, if he, can, he shows up, again, we have a track record this week of him not showing up. Uh, if not, I will probably draft, I don't know, Tim Reedy, Tim, if you're listening, uh, you've taken my trigger management class. So you might get to uh, get pressed into action for one demo because uh, I'm still not quite up to speed uh, with, with the right hand yet. I have gone back to carrying right-handed um, and just hoping that I don't end up having to, to utilize it, yeah. but uh, I'm, close enough to the point where I think I'm better off back on the right-hand side than the left. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, January, I think the weekend, January 20th, somewhere around in there, I will be the lead instructor for a range master instructor certification course at Top Guns in Terre Haute, Indiana. It's very close to I-70 and all the hotels and an hour from the Indianapolis airport. And so it's very convenient to get to. It's a very nice indoor range. They have three indoor shooting bays. Uh, they have a very nice classroom. They've got a rock climbing wall. They've got a pizza joint. It's a very nice range. Uh, we have almost enough students registered at this point for that class to be a go. Okay. So I'm, I'm glad that got, that got some advertising, got some word out on it. Yeah, we, we're almost at our good to go point on the number of registrations good. and so you know we could use some if you're interested in taking the class from me it's not tom it's from me um please sign up what i can tell you is that i will be true to the material but i will not try to stand up there and do a tom impersonation you can't can't yeah and so but it will be true to the range master material and um you'll be special if you take it from me yeah well we were hope we had one earlier this year that we were hoping to do that with and uh yeah. didn't seem to generate the interest so. and we'll blame that on john since he's not here <laughs> fair enough yeah uh, i'll be teaching at tatcon um i know a couple of the classes that i'm teaching i don't know about live fire yet yeah but i know a couple of the classroom discussions that'll be we'll be rehashing our aftermath that we did yes we will uh, uh with john dobb Little, little probably a little bit different focus this year just to kind of change it up and make it interesting yeah. but yeah we'll revisit that one and then you and john hearn and i have a panel discussion with a different topic that we'll be doing at least i think we submitted that i think we did yeah <laughs> I think we did and then like i said i don't know about live fire yet um we'll probably roll out some stuff soon i don't have anything beyond those scheduled right now i'm working i didn't do any local classes in 2022 and so i'm hoping to do some stuff here locally so i don't have to travel as much in 2023 i I burned leave at a rate faster than i accrued it yeah and every day off i had taken prior to this past week every day off i had taken from work was to teach classes and i finally took two days off and went and had just some some non-working time yeah 
which also coincided with not having to work with the college. And so I was actually off, off. Yeah. And I, yeah, I did that back in May. That was, I did some time, me time back in May. And so probably got a couple of new classes coming out. We'll be maybe in conjunction with range master, maybe something under my own umbrella and um, we'll still travel some. But if you have a facility and you are, say, I don't know, within a four or five hour travel radius of Athens, Georgia, hit me up at Lee at First Person Safety. And every hosting opportunity that I've gotten so far for 2023 is a minimum eight hour drive. So I kind of like to get something a little closer to home. And I'm still going to travel and do some things. Yeah. But uh, um, I'd like maybe three, maybe four travel classes because we're going to have to travel for the reunion this coming year so because it's going to be in whitehall okay so that's going to take the where's place whitehall was oh, that arkansas okay yeah, yeah. ed monk's bless okay ed monk. yeah so all righty well with that eric thank you for playing along tonight on short notice oh you're welcome easy to do And to the audience, we realize that your most important asset is your time. And thank you for choosing to spend it with us.